We're in, uh, we're in the middle of the series Renegades, of taking a look at real-life historical renegades, disciples of, of Yahweh in the Old Testament, disciples of, of God in the Old Testament, disciples of Jesus in the New Testament, and to see that renegades are those who uh, buck uh, religious and cultural traditions, but not to go off by themselves, but so that uh, they can impact culture. And that, uh, that Jesus wants to make us all renegades. We don't start as renegades, though. None of us feel like we're renegades. We don't start off that way. We see that in Gideon's story of, of a guy who did not start off as a renegade. He, he had all kinds of fear, and, uh, uh, but still he had courage. Why? Because courage isn't the absence of fear. It's taking the next step despite your fear. And then next week we saw Ruth and Boaz. And that faith is hearing and following God. Hearing and following Jesus to take those next steps. That's what faith is. And then the next week we saw, we saw prayer with, with Daniel and his friends of how, of how prayer gave them to the life to, to take those next steps of faith. And then last week we saw Ezra, that God's word is another tool that God gives to give us life so that we can take those next steps. So we've got courage, we've got faith, and hear and follow. And then we've got the tools of, of prayer and, and God's word in order to give us life to take those next steps. This morning we're going to talk about an often untalked about story, but also concept when it comes to the church. And that's vision that leads to action. We don't talk a lot about vision in the church, especially in the Southern Baptist Church. We're like, visions? No, we don't want visions. No, 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 we're not talking about weird stuff. We're just talking about a future reality. A mental picture of a future reality. That's all vision is. It's a mental picture of a future reality. Mackenzie just graduated. We were just talking about, you know, what are you going to do? And blah, blah. You know, when, you're, when, when you have those key moments in your life and graduation, you have these visions of, 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 of what you want to do with your life. They're either visions of grandeur or, you know, visions of not so grandeur. And, and, and we've all been in both instances. But all vision is, is a mental picture of a future reality. But somebody who, ha- who is a visionary without action, all we call them is a dreamer, right? So action is simply just the series of next steps making a vision a reality. And really, action has everything to do with faith. Do you see that in there? Next steps. Next steps. Hear and follow to take those next steps. He would follow faith to take those next steps to make that vision that God has given a reality. And leadership, all leadership is, is training and releasing others to act towards a vision. Training and releasing others to act towards a vision. And we're going to see an example of excellent vision, excellent action, and excellent leadership in a guy by the name of Nehemiah. Now, we were talking this morning among the, uh, among the band uh, uh, of, of how Nehemiah, he's somebody that we really don't spend a lot of time talking about. There's nothing sexy about his story. There's no parting of the Red Sea. There's no supernatural miracles. No water to wine. Nothing that would make the biblical sports center top ten. But still, a man of vision and a man of action and a man of strong faith. How do we get 
and act towards a godly vision. I'm going to take a look at that. Now, we can make a whole series on just this. So hopefully this morning, I won't make a series out of it. I'll make a sermon out of it. So buckle your seatbelts. Don't know how long you'll be here. Jerrica's excited. She's, yeah, let's go. Let's go. All right. Nehemiah chapter 1. They said to me, who's they? They is his brothers, or his brother, and the group of people that went from Babylon to Jerusalem and back. One way is four months. So an eight-month trip, round trip, and at whatever time they were there. So we're talking about about a year between the time that Nehemiah saw them off and, 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 and they came back. And Nehemiah is a cupbearer for, for the king of Babylon. We'll talk more about that in, in, in just a minute, but a very, very important high-up position in Babylon. And they came back and they reported to him, the remnant in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down and its gates have been burned down. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before God of, of heaven. How do we bring a vision to reality? Find what breaks you. Find what breaks your heart. What pulls at your heartstrings? For Nehemiah, for whatever reason, the fact that, that the walls were broken down and the gates were broken down was a big deal to him. It broke him. He wept over it. He fasted and he prayed over it. I mean, what breaks you so much that you lose food over? Anybody? Anybody? You're like, nothing. Exactly. Like, this was a big deal to him. But it wasn't a big deal to the people who lived in Jerusalem. If it was a big deal to them, they would have already built the walls. It perhaps was a big deal to Nehemiah because he's been around kings. He's been around what, what it looks like to, to, to have a, a city where the walls were broken down. And the economic impact that it was to, to not have any walls. And the security impact that it was to not have any walls. And the identity impact that it was to not have any walls. That it bothered him. What breaks your heart? Now, we have lo different levels of, of, of heart breaking. One level is the Nehemiah level, that you're broken and, uh, to tears over this thing, whatever it is. The second kind of the medium uh, level is, is that you're, you're broken to the point of frustration or anger. You're like, why doesn't somebody do something about this? Like, you're angry about it. Like, like it's a frustration for you. And then the, the, the most mild level is just simply, why doesn't anybody solve this problem? Like, there's a problem here. Why doesn't anybody solve it? That you just want, want a problem to be solved. Now, some people will say, this is the only level of breaking. No, all three of these are a level of breaking. And if we want a godly vision, we need to listen to our heart when our heart breaks over something. Now, this isn't like you see the news and all that's sad. Or, you know, some guys around a table uh, uh, eating dinner or, or, or playing cards or whatever, and they're talking about the world's problems and how to solve the world's problems, but the next day they forget, right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a temporary breaking. Day after day, week after week, month after month, your heart breaks over this issue. That's God telling you something. That's God giving you a vision for a better future in whatever that is. 
For Nehemiah, it was the walls. But everything that went with a, a city having walls. What does your heart break over? Then we see Nehemiah pray. And he prayed and he fasted for months. See, he was the cupbearer to the king. He was in a situation like he couldn't just go into the king and say, hey, see you later, I'm out of here. He couldn't do that. This was probably the most trusted position in the entire kingdom. Uh, a cupbearer, most, most of you probably know this, cupbearer, he drank the wine and ate the food of the king before the king ate it. Because the best way to assassinate a king in that time was poison. Days before CSI, where you could solve a crime in 42 minutes, poison was the best way to assassinate a king. Slip in, put the poison in, slip out, nobody knows. If you want to spear the king, you kind of have to be present for that. Poison, don't have to be present for. So kings would get cupbearers. Nehemiah put his life on the line for the king every day. And this was a a, a position that was trusted. Like he had to trust, the king had to trust Nehemiah not to be bribed, not to to plot a, a secret plan. The king trusted Nehemiah with his life. He couldn't just up and leave. And many times this is the case with vision. Like we get this vision, but we can't run with it. We can't go with it. So we've got to pray for action. We've got to pray for action. We've got to pray for God to do something, to line some things out so that that we can actually act. And we see this with Nehemiah. Chapter 2, verse 1. During the month of Nisan, they must have been in all one accord in that month, in the 20th year of King Artic... No, no, sorry. That's a Honda anyway, but... When the wine was set before him, I too, uh, I, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had never been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, why are you sad when you aren't sick? This is nothing but depression. I was overwhelmed with fear because, because sadness in the, middle, in, in the presence of the king wouldn't lose you your job. It would lose you your head. The king, kings would kill if you were sad in his presence. And replied to the king, may the king live forever. <laughs> like, don't kill me. Why should I not be sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Now, Nehemiah had months to prepare his answer. What would I say if, if I ever got the opportunity to, to, to tell the king about this? And he told the king an answer that would, that would strike the king in his heart because the king knows what it's like to have cities without walls. And the big deal around it, like, it doesn't stop, right? This light just keeps flickering on and off. You know, it's like, so today is just going to be technical difficulty Sunday. And uh, we'll just be back with you next week. All right, so. Nehemiah chooses an answer that would, that would pull the king's heartstrings that would give Nehemiah the better potential at a favorable answer. Then the king asked me, what's your request? So I pray to the God of heaven. Like you ever been in that moment where you give, where you give an oh crap prayer? Right? 
right? Like you, you, you've maybe been praying for something for months and it actually is standing right before you. And, 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 and in that moment, you're like, oh crap, God, do something. Or, you know, maybe you're, 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 you're more like, uh, what, what is it? Carrie Underwood, you know, Jesus take the wheel. You know, come to find out later that, you know, she's going to dig her key into his souped up four wheel drive and Maybe Jesus didn't take the wheel there. But uh, we have these moments, right, that are standing right before us. And we've been praying for this moment. And you're like, Jesus, don't let me screw this up. Praying for action. We're praying for that, 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 that moment to come. But more than that, for us to be able to step into that moment with courage, not without fear. We see Nehemiah is fearful here but that we don't allow that fear to cause us to stand right where we are, that we do take that next step. And Nehemiah says, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to Jerusalem and build the walls. How long, Nehemiah? Nehemiah gave him an answer of how long. And the king granted his request. I think this this emboldened Nehemiah. He started to get momentum. I think maybe the first one was, I, I want to go build, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And when the king gave him permission, then he stepped up. He was like, hey, you know what? I also need letters. It's a dangerous trip. I need letters securing my passage through the desert so that if anybody wants to come rob us or say, no, you can't get through here, or no, we're not going to let you build, I can say, ha ha, I've got letters. The king gives him letters. And I think that, I think now Nehemiah's just got his big boy pants on because he's like, I also need a letter. To the, to the person who controls your forest so that I can get wood for my gate. I want you to give me security and I want you to fund my project. Like, that's some guts. What'd you think I was going to say? Come on now. That's some guts, right? Like, he goes from, I just want to go to, I want you to, secu- to give me security and to give me funds and resources to make this happen. He's like, sure, whatever you need. Really? Really? This pagan king has no interest in God at all? And he does it. Side note, this is for free. This is for free. Maybe it'll be amazing if Christians actually decide to serve pagan leaders to see what happens instead of yell at them. That's for free. But we pray for action. We pray for action. When is it that God will give us the opportunity to step into this space? Ever since I've been, four years since I've been here, I've been praying for the opportunity to adopt somewhere in the world to go and, and, and give into. And then, boom, all of a sudden, this Craig opportunity came up with Manna Worldwide, and we saw people's hearts kind of inflamed towards that. See, that's what we're talking about. But see, we can't stop with prayer. We've got to work until the job is done. We've got to work until the job is done. See, vision is exciting to get. 
Vision is exciting to complete. But the plateau of vision where the work is done is boring. And you can't see the end. And you've got to work until the job is done. And we see this with, with Nehemiah. We see this with Nehemiah. He, 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 he goes into Jerusalem with, with this entire entourage. And he doesn't tell anybody, he doesn't tell anybody why he's there. So the people are probably just like, oh, great, we're going we're gonna to get taken advantage of by another guy coming in from Babylon to be our governor. Because that's what had happened. We'll see that in just a minute. But he surveys the walls one night. And the next morning he says this, You see the trouble we are in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that has been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Isn't that awesome? Nehemiah was like, let's work. And they're like, let's rise up and build. Yeah. That's like every pastor's dream, right? Like, you're like, let's work. Everybody's like, yes, let's work. Instead of, why do we work? Why, 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 do, why, do, we do, why do we do this again? And they strengthen their hand for the work. And they set out to work. But in every project, everything like this, we're going to have internal and external conflict. Internally, among their own people, the rich people were taking advantage of the poor people. And the best way to solve that? Personal sacrifice. Nehemiah personally sacrificed to make this project happen. Nehemiah chapter 5. The governors who preceded me had heavily burdened the people, taking food and wine from them, as well as a pound of silver. Their subordinates also oppressed the people. But I didn't do this because of the fear of God. Instead, I devoted myself to the construction of the wall. Ever have have a leader not devote themselves to the construction? Nehemiah is like, no, no, that's not going to be me. And that's not going to be my subordinates. And all my subordinates were gathered there for the work. We didn't buy any land. There were 150 Jews and officials, as well as guests from the surrounding nations at my table. Now catch this. Each day, each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some fowl were prepared for me. An abundance of all kinds of wine was provided every 10 days. But I didn't demand the food allotted to the governor, basically a tax on the people, because the burden of the people was so heavy. Essentially, he said, all this stuff, one ox, six choice sheep, some fowl, and all this wine, I paid for. For 150 people, I paid for that, as Nehemiah. You can tell how much a person is behind something because of their personal sacrifice. Let me talk about this. Our, 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 our team leads, Phil and Paul and, and Shelly and, and Nicole. Phil and Paul get paid just over just 100 bucks a week. They got to work other jobs. And when computer crashes, they've got to put in hours to make sure we have words so that you can follow along. They're vastly underpaid. 
They can't spend the time that they want to spend to, to especially developing leaders because they, they have to work full-time jobs elsewhere. But why do they do that? They believe in the building of Crosspoint. And Shelly and Nicole, they volunteer to be team leads. And all the hours that they put in. Why, but why do they do it? They, in order to build Crosspoint. In order to build the kingdom. And why do we have people who, who give into the children? And some of you give weeks and hours to, to miss and hear, to, 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 to be with the children, because they believe in building into children. And people who come back on Sunday night to build into the youth, why do they do that? Why do they sacrifice? Why do they volunteer? Because they believe in building into the youth. Those of you on the admin team, those of you that come in, come in early to practice with the band and set up everything because they believe in building up Crosspoint, because they believe in, in, in making this environment uh, 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 accessible for people who don't like church and who probably don't like God either. The reality is, is that a church has to be built on the backs of people who are vastly underpaid and who don't get paid at all. And when people do that, you know what happens? Internal problems, they kind of go away. And I think that's why overall we don't have a whole lot of internal problems here at Crosspoint. Because we have great volunteers, people who just say, I want to build Crosspoint. I want to build it. And the more we see that, the less internal problems we have. Because you know what? Bored people complain. Right? It's bored people who complain. And when you're not bored, you're too, you're, you're, you're too tired and you're too action to complain. And then there's external problems. There's external opposition. Nehemiah faced it. A guy by the name of Sandballot. Like, that, that just sounds like a bully name, right? Like, like dude, like, you had no chance. Your, your parents named you that and you're just mad about it. And so you're just, you're just, you're just a bully. When Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and sent the rest of our enemies, heard that I rebuilt the, rebuilt the wall, they are almost done, and that no gap was left in it, though at the time I had not installed the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me a message. Come, let's meet together in the villages of the Ono Valley. But they were planning to harm me. So I sent messages to them saying, I am doing a great work and cannot come down. Isn't that a great statement? I don't have time to bother with you. I'm doing a great work. External opposition. How do we defeat that? I'm doing a great work. I don't know what you're doing, but I'm doing a great work. And I don't have time to listen to you. I don't have time to come talk to you. I don't have time to deal with your mess because I'm doing a great work. See, this is where the too much... And then not enoughs come in play. It's too much time to do this. It's too hard to do this. We don't have enough money. 
We don't have enough people. We don't have enough resources. And people point that out. We have to ignore the twos and not enoughs. And say, we're doing a too great of work to give up now. We have to work until the job is done. Now, with a wall, with a wall, like, there's a start point and there's an end point. Like, you know when the wall's done. Like, boom, it's done. And for them, the wall was completed in 52 days. Imagine, imagine, imagine just taking the elementary school district, like that, that portion of the of Republic, and trying to build a wall, a stone wall without bulldozers, without modern implements, building a stone wall around all of Republic's elementary schools in 52 days. That's nuts, right? That's crazy. It's an incredible accomplishment. Because a vision that led to action. See, a church, we don't have a start and we don't have an end. We're not like, we're going to build until December 31st to 2025 and then we're done. No. And so without the urgency, it gets more difficult, right? When we have urgency, when we have a, an end date, it gets easier to get in there and, and roll your sleeves up and work. When there's no urgency, it's, it's, it's oftentimes harder to work. But we have a task by God to rescue and rebuild those far from God. Hurting, broken. To build them into hear and follow disciples. We need people that are broken over something. Your little niche, your, your deal that God tugs at your heart. Maybe it's a frustration. Like, like, like here in, in the church, like, you're like, man, we've got a gap here. I'd probably agree with you. We probably know that. We've probably talked about it as team leads. But we don't have anybody fill in that space. Or maybe it's, 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 it's bigger than the church. Maybe it's kingdom-oriented. Maybe it's like, you know, I'd really love to work with, with, with single mothers and help them and, and give them a good start. Well, we've got a partner doing that. Maybe it's with the, the, the sex industry. And seeing those, those girls come out of that. Well, we got a partner for that. Maybe it's for the underprivileged in Republic. we got a partner for that. Maybe it's, it's worldwide underprivileged. And we're stepping into that space as we speak. We've got spaces for you to step no matter what your heart is pulled towards. And this is how, how a church is built. Starting in August, we're going, to start, we're going to talk about the church for a whole year. What the church is, what it's supposed to be doing, etc. But for this series, this is a transition point. We've put all these ingredients together. Courage, hear and follow faith, uh, 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 Bible, prayer, vision. And for the next three weeks, we're going to see how this plays out in Peter, Paul, and John's life. But for now, what is your heart burdened with? What's your heart burdened with? What breaks your heart? And maybe you feel too insignificant to do anything about it. We watched the Angry Birds movie this weekend. 
in red from Angry Birds said this to um, the eagle. The fate of the world rests on idiots like me. And that, sir, is terrifying. Maybe you understand that, right? It's not the fate of the world. But you're like, why on earth would God allow idiots like me to build the kingdom? See, all these guys in the Bible, they're awesome. They're not idiots. Oh, hold on. <laughs> Let's just see what Peter's got to, got to offer us next week. All right? God, God's chosen. This is his plan. To take people who feel completely insignificant, but to build them into renegades that impact culture because they're building his kingdom. That we say we will rise up and build the kingdom until my work is done. Will we be that people? The first question to ask yourself is this. What breaks my heart? That's where God starts the vision. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this opportunity. And I pray, Lord, that you burden our heart with what breaks our heart. That we can see you work in our life. Because we start moving towards that. It's your name we pray. Amen.